the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior and the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Well, Isaiah talked about God's gift, the Prince of Peace. And what our response to that is, that's our theme of our Advent season. We are to be peacemakers. Here's the problem. If any of you were out on Black Friday, it's not necessarily a peaceful time. I saw one report of all kinds, literally fistfights down in Alabama over some of the deals that they were able to get. And if we're not to that point, still, you have so many gifts to buy for so many different people. You've got to get that list made. You've got cookies. You want your house decorated just right. You want to wrap those gifts that you buy. A lot of planning. There is A lot of stress involved in the Advent season in these weeks leading up to Christmas Day. Actually, I think about you. You've got a whole lot of different stuff this year, Christmas, that you've never had before. It's very true. You've never never been a full-time pastor. This is your first Christmas doing that. And you've never had a little bundle of joy, well, other than Laura, but you've never had the other bundle of joy in your life. What's that done to your stress level? Well, it's definitely changed some things, definitely changed a little bit about Christmas. Uh, for one, we don't have a Christmas tree this year, uh, simply because our little apartment doesn't have room for one, after all the baby stuff. Um, it's made me uh, do some internal questioning about some of the Christmas carols I've heard. Uh, because I just cannot reconcile that verse in a way in a manger where it says, Little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Um, I, I just can't get beyond that. But, uh, but also just, just having a job, just being here and, you know, all that we just said about, you know, something happening every Sunday, something special, and all the extra work that goes into that. Um, while also wanting to be with my son and with my wife, it's a, it's a lot to handle. What we want you to hear however, is that peace, the inner peace that is possible for us, really has nothing to do with outside circumstances. I want to tell you about a couple peaceful times in my life. One, I was a little younger than you. A long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Smart guy. (laughs) And serving my first appointment. 
and actually my first visit to an intensive care unit. And I can remember riding up to the hospital because I don't, didn't know at the time what this person was in the intensive care unit for. I didn't know what I was going to find. And I was scared. But just riding up in that elevator, I just offered a brief prayer to God to, to be with me. You know, you, you all expect preachers to say just the right thing. Well, I didn't know what to say when I got there. And there was this peace that came over me, actually a calmness that I really appreciated. And it was significant enough that I remember that feeling to this day. The other time, peaceful time, was on one of those trips. My my wife and I, as you know, have made a couple trips across the country to visit national parks. You see a lot of grand stuff. I mean, the Grand Canyon, you know, whatever the, the national, particular national park offers. But when we went to the Redwood National Park and we took a, a short hike there and we were the only ones on this path and those trees and the quiet, it was just an awesome quiet. I mean, I've been in the woods, as you and your family do, lots of times, but I had never experienced the quiet in the woods that we experienced in the Redwood National Park. Peaceful. What about you? What, what's some of the peaceful times you remember? Well, certainly uh, being in, out in God's creation is one of them. I remember one particular time I was at one of my favorite places, uh, near our family's cabin and just admiring the fall foliage and the stream was going by and it was just a, a very serene, very calm, very peaceful moment. And it was something that it, you just realized it was a special moment. It was different. Um, uh, later on, that same location is where I proposed to Laura. And so that had an excitement, but still a peace, a calmness about it. Like things were right. Things were good. Um, and then, similar to what you were talking about, um, when we're ministering to people, there's a certain peace when you know that it's what God wants you to be doing. Um, in fact, just recently, I was visiting a woman who is going through some dementia-related issues, and, and the conversation is never very um, on point, very on subject. Um, but the one thing that always brings a moment of lucidity is asking to pray with her. And as soon as you do that... She says, oh, yes, let's pray. And, and for that moment, it's just peace. And it's an incredible feeling to be at that kind of peace. Well, we want to tell you a, a bit about something that Zephaniah, one of the Old Testament prophets, writes about peace. Now, he doesn't use the word. In, in a few scripture verses that I'm going to read to you from Zephaniah, he doesn't use the word peace. But the feeling is there. David's going to tell us just a little bit about who Zephaniah was. So Zephaniah was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. Now, that might not mean much to you, but it's important in Israel's history, because remember, Israel was split between a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and Hezekiah was one of Judah, the southern kingdom's good kings. So the fact that he tells us in in the opening verses of Zephaniah that he was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah means he's from royal lineage, of one of the good kings. And so that's really important for understanding his perspective on what was going on in Judah at the time. 
So, like I said, Judah was the southern kingdom, and it was split. And recall last week we talked about how Hosea prophesied to the northern kingdom. Well, well Zephaniah was prophesying to the southern one, and um, they were both receiving basically the same message. They were both hearing that uh, they needed to turn from their wicked ways, they needed to turn back to God, to trust Him, and to obey Him. And uh, through that process, uh, He was telling them that you'd have to put away some things that are plaguing the society. Um, Judah at this time was uh, uh, sinful to the core. There was really not a whole lot going on for Judah. Uh, it impacted their public lives, their private lives, and their spiritual lives. And I think it's important to understand that when these guys are prophesying, there really is a spiritual life going on. There really is a, still an aspect of they know God's there, but they're not living like he's there. And I think that's an important part that we need to realize today, too, as we proclaim a very similar message today, to turn to God, to repent from our wicked ways. Um, these people weren't completely ignoring God. They just weren't doing what he told them to do. And so that's an important um, aspect to remember. And that's kind of what Zephaniah was uh, prophesying into. He was prophesying to a godless co- culture um, and, and trying to get them to turn back to God. Here's some of what Zephaniah said. Jerusalem is doomed that corrupt, rebellious city that oppresses its own people. It has not listened to the Lord or accepted his discipline. It has not put its trust in the Lord or asked for his help. Its officials are like roaring lions. Its judges are like hungry wolves, too greedy to leave a bone until morning. The prophets are irresponsible and treacherous. The priests defile what is sacred and twist the law of God to their own advantage. But here's the peace part. But the Lord is still in the city. He does what is right and never what is wrong. You see, as Zephaniah lists all those things that are wrong, the people haven't listened to the Lord. Without listening to God in our lives, there really is no peace. They have not accepted God's discipline. Well, that's because they, like we, we like to take the easy way out of things. But to do the right thing sometimes requires work, effort, discipline. But doing the right thing always brings a sense of inner peace to it as well. They hadn't put their trust in the Lord. That's what Zephaniah said. We, especially in our time, we have fallen into the trap of putting the trust in ourselves. You realize, since Zephaniah's time, we have made amazing discoveries, amazing accomplishments as a human race. But we have lost our spiritual heading. Now, Zephaniah said the prophets are irresponsible. You know who the prophets were? You. That is, the prophets were lay people. They weren't professional priests. They weren't clergy. They were just people that God called out of the common folks to proclaim his message. But Zephaniah also had something for us. Because he said the priests defile what is sacred and they twist the law of God. So... That's Zephaniah's word to us. 
What scares you, David, about being a pastor? You're new at this. What scares you about being a pastor? One thing is definitely having the right words for, um, for sad situations, for uncomfortable situations, because uh, people do look to us uh, for guidance and, and being so new at this. You know, I don't have a whole lot of experience to go <laughs> off of. Uh, so making sure that I can really be, be helpful is a, is a big concern for me, that I am doing it well. Also that, you know, as I'm uh, young in the ministry and I have ideas, I don't want to become... Uh, complacent. That's one of my fears that I would um, get the attitude that something has happened and now I've done enough. And that's something that doesn't apply just to, to me. It applies to all of us. You know, we get this attitude that we've done enough for God. I talked about that several months ago. And, and when we do that, we stop being effective for him. And uh, if I'm really going to make this my, um, my career, it has to be more than just a career. Because a career starts and stops each day. A career ends at a certain age. And, uh, you know, like, like you, like Rodney has done, you know, you, you keep going. Um, Chuck Swindoll is a pastor who said he wants, uh, he wants to be serving God so much that uh, when he dies, he wants his chin to hit the pulpit on the way down. Um, just a dedication and a love for God that keeps going. And I fear, uh, because it happens all the time, uh, burnout and, and just complacency and just being at ease with things. And we're also in a, in a real uh, important role that God expects of us to, to teach and to lead people. And there's that, that pressure too, that we're not just, you know, coming into the building each day and, you know, doing our work and, and there's people behind everything we do, whether it's, you know, something on the computer, whether it's reading a book, it all needs to be about the people that God has brought us to us to minister to. Um, and to let them down, let God down in that respect is a big um, thing I keep at the forefront of my mind. Well, I'm going to add some weight to your back then. Because the thing that scared me, I, like Rodney, was at Yorkana for a long time. A lot of years in ministry there. And once in a while it hit me that I was the only pastor that some of those kids who were young when I moved there ever knew. That scared me. You know, when I was growing up, I, we, we changed pastors every four years. So I had a lot of different pastors to look at. But some of the kids at Yorkana only knew me. And I wanted to, to show them God. I, I wanted to show them that following God brought a good life. And yeah, that's the same kind of thing you were saying, that the complacency and the, the responsibility can weigh heavily upon you. That, that scared me. But Zephaniah, after lamenting everything that the people of Israel were doing, he proclaimed that wonderful few words, the Lord is still in the city. Mary and Joseph had a difficult time in their pregnancy. Difficult in the sense that it wasn't necessarily a peaceful time for them. It was scary. They had to deal with probably some ridicule of the people. uh, Wondering what people were saying behind their back, that kind of thing. But Mary's affirmation, remember it? After the angel appeared to her, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. That's where they got the peace to get through that difficult time. Are there any passages that give you peace in your life? 
Absolutely. And looking at the New Testament, uh, I think of the Gospel of John in verse uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 7. Um, nope, don't do that one. Do verse 27. Verse 7 is good, but not as good as 27. <laughs> it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You know, as I think about the New Testament, um, the word peace, the Greek word, irene, occurs 91 times just in the New Testament alone. And it's really interesting if you look at it, because literally, peace means God's gift of wholeness. God's gift of wholeness. So, you know, so often we hear people say, well, I'm torn about this. Well, I'm, I'm torn. It's really tearing me up inside. There's, there's a disjointedness, something that's not connected. Um, but peace, at least biblically speaking, is a wholeness, a connectedness that comes um, from God. So if we're counseling somebody who's torn, uh, you know, we, we know to give it to God. We might say, you know, you know, let God and let go, that kind of thing. And, and we may not realize how theologically accurate that is. Uh, because when we give it to God, we're doing it because he brings wholeness. Not because he takes our problems and suddenly makes everything better. He gives us a wholeness despite our situation. He gives us a wholeness despite whatever we're going through. And so we look to Christ for that. You know, I think back to this passage, and it happened while Jesus was in the upper room. In the upper room discourse, he was talking to his disciples. In fact, this uh, chapter 14 is called Jesus Comforts His Disciples. And he's talking about what's going to happen when he leaves, when he dies. The disciples are fearful. There's going to be something lost. There's going to be a, a discontinuity, a disconnect that they'll have to endure. And uh, John 14, 27, he comes in and says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He said, Yes, I'm going away, but God's wholeness I'm leaving with you. God's wholeness I'm giving to you. Not as the world gives to you. Not as the world gives to you. That's interesting, too, you know, because we, we live in the world. And so there's a lot in the world that we can uh, really look to and we do look to to give us peace. And it just doesn't add up. Uh, Warren Wearsby in his commentary identified uh, some of the differences between what the world gives and what Jesus gives in relationship to peace. Uh, number one, the world will give us resources. We think if I have enough, I'll have peace. But Jesus gives us relationship. The world gives us, uh, you know, our ability, our personal ability. If I can do it, I can have peace. I need to achieve it for myself. But Jesus says, no, in me, you're, you're adequate. You're good. You don't need to try. Uh, the world says that peace is something we just hope for, we work for. That's why in a beauty pageant you have to say world peace, because we're always hoping for it. But Jesus says, no, my peace is a gift. I graciously give it. I want you to have it. I want the world to have it. The world says that peace means an absence of trouble. But Jesus says that there's a, a peace in spite of trials, in spite of trouble. Um, and so if we look at that, really what the world's doing is focusing on the externals. And Jesus is focusing on the eternal. You know, we look to all these things around us and try to look for peace, try to reconcile what's going on, and we just can't do it. Unless we look to Christ who brings peace, which is God's gift of wholeness. So if we tie these things together, you know, the meaning of peace and Jesus' words about peace, him bringing them to us, that takes us to Philippians 4.7. It's a great passage about uh, peace. It says, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
So the peace of God, that we said that's completeness or wholeness, will surpass your comprehension, will surpass your understanding. That means it won't make sense. That means it's beyond what we can understand. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with that because if God is who he says he is, then we won't understand everything that he tells us. We won't understand everything that he does for us. That's what makes him God. And so through faith, we trust in him, and he gives us this peace that surpasses understanding, peace that despite what's going on, I'm still at peace, and it's God's gift to us. And so we need to find the peace that Christ offers. And when we do that, when we're in Christ Jesus, you know, because we have that peace, even though we don't completely understand it, our hearts and our minds, the end of that verse, are guarded from all that other stuff going around us. Um, the, the Old Testament word is shalom. And that means that same thing, God's completeness, God's wholeness. Shalom. We have peace. You know, Zephaniah was looking forward to um, what God would do. He was looking forward to God's shalom coming. And then the New Testament, his shalom did come. And now we're in a point between uh, him rising from the dead and him coming again when we again await his grand and great and glorious shalom that will never leave the earth. A great completeness that the earth is longing for. You know, we look around and say, why is this happening? It's because God's not here yet. You know, he's here in us. He has the Holy Spirit. Of course, he's omnipresent, but he hasn't put to death sin and, and, and everything f- from us. He's giving people the opportunity to turn to him. And so that should give us peace, too, to know that even though all the stuff is going on, there is a completeness, a wholeness that's coming. And so, you know, Jesus tells us that his peace is absolutely for us, even though it's absolutely not because of us. So because all the stuff is going on, we dabble in things we shouldn't dabble, and we get attached to things we shouldn't get attached to. But Jesus said that he's leaving his peace with us, not because we deserve it, but because he's giving it graciously as a result of our relationship with him. And so uh, really understanding that peace doesn't have to come from me is a very comforting thought. Peace comes from God, and it's a gift. And when it's a gift, it's not because I've earned it. It's because God wants to give it. So what we want for you to both feel and understand is that there is peace available to you. And it has nothing to do with what's going on in your life. It has everything to do with what your relationship with God is. One of my favorite theologians is William Barclay called that. Common man's theologian at times. He, he died when he was 85 years old. And as one of his friends was going through some of his belongings, that friend found a, a piece of notebook paper, yellowed. It had been in use for a very long time. And he saw on the, at the top of that piece of note, notebook paper said an act of commitment And then it had these words, To thee, O Lord, I leave the management of all events and say without reserve, not my will, but thine be done. And then there was a list of signatures, William Barclay's signatures, from the age of 16 to the age of 85, every time or every day on his birthday, he resigned that commitment to God. 
That's where William Barclay find, found his peace. That's where you can find you. God's gift, the Prince of Peace. Our response, to be God's peacemakers. Paul, can you pull up the St. Francis prayer again? Does that... I know you did it once, but would you just pray that with, with us again as we close this meditation? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. And where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life.